Good morning. Good to have you with us this morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 137. 137. This is our Soul RX teaching series. There's no greater prescription for what ails our soul than deep communion with God. It's what the book of Psalms is all about. It's where we've been spending our summer. I uh, received a number of years ago a Hallmark card. It was with Garfield on it. And on the front of it, it said, when life is getting you down, sometimes it helps to seek out one of those cheery people who never stops smiling. Then you open it up and it says, and kick their butt clear into next week. (laughs) Sounds like Garfield's bitter. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about today. Bitterness. And uh, you can't go very far in life before, before you take some hits. And when it comes to the hits that you take, you really only have two choices as you process those hits. You only have two choices. When you take hits, and by the way, you're going to take some hits. You know what I'm talking about. And when it comes to those hits, you only have two choices. It's either the bondage of bitterness or the freedom of forgiveness. Those are the only two choices you have. And all of us, how we respond to the hits we take, the difficulties, the hurts, the wounds, the trauma, we're going to be on one of those two paths. We might go back and forth between those two paths. We might deal with some issues really well and then other issues not so much. But we only have those two choices. Nothing will poison God's love for you and your love for God and others like bitterness. Bitterness has become so much a part of our culture that most don't know they have it. It's the air we breathe If you just took a moment and begin to listen to a lot of the clatter, a lot of the talking that's going on in our culture today, there's a lot of bitterness that drives it. We live in a very bitter society and world, and so oftentimes we can be bitter and not even know that we have bitterness that's ruling our heart. And so Psalm 137 will get us started onto this path of the freedom of forgiveness, and we're going to learn how to keep anger from becoming bitterness. That's, that's really what this psalm teaches us. And uh, just before we pray here, this is what you need to know. You don't have to be held hostage to your past hurts any longer because Jesus came to bring to us a freedom that money can't buy and death cannot take away. There is an amazing freedom in Jesus Christ. To all those past hurts, he can set us free, and he's here this morning to meet with us. Would you bow your heads with me? As you bow your heads, I know that uh, there are those that are facing some trauma and tragedy. In fact, this is what I want you to do. Just grab a hold of the hands of the people next to you real quick, because I can't help but think. We've just gone through a couple weeks just in my own uh, 
in my own personal life, my family life, but also this church family of, of some tragedy. I just got a call last night. Uh, we got a call from a very close cousin of mine. They just had their five-year-old grandson drown last night. And uh, I had a real rough night as I thought about that and prayed for them. And so would you join with me as we pray for them? And I'm going to pray for you. Maybe you're going through a tough time. And I want you to know that Jesus is here. He loves you. He's bigger than every issue that we face. God is able to make all grace abound to us so that in all things at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. So let me pray. Father, I know that there are people here that are right now going through tragedy, difficulty, and those that have gone through it, it's maybe been a few years ago, but it's stuff that still haunts them and harasses them, past hurts. And God, we know that your eyes are upon us and your ears are attentive to our prayer this morning. And Father God, your word tells us in Psalm thirty-four, eighteen, that you are near the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. So God, we know that hurt people hurt people, but healed people heal people. And in Psalm 34, 19, you have said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you, Lord, will deliver us out of them all. So Father, deliver us out of this bondage of bitterness into the freedom of forgiveness so that we can help others to do the same. We pray for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this text. Let me read through it. Let me give you a little bit of the background for it, first of all, just so that you know it, because it's a bit of a peculiar uh, psalm. It's, it's kind of a hard-hitting psalm, and it kind of ends with a real harsh note. But the historical background here is that the, the bigger nation, Babylon, came against the smaller nation. Israel conquered its capital city, bringing the whole nation down. The soldiers came in, destroyed, looted, pillaged, killed, taking survivors for slaves, And um, this is an eyewitness, Psalm 137 is an eyewitness account of one of the surviving slaves, and it has in it two painful eyewitness memories of what happened in the overtaking of the city. The first one's in verse 7, when we get there, that way you'll understand what we're reading. In verse 7, it says, the Edomites cheered on the Babylonians. So the Babylonians are taking over the nation of Israel, conquering them, and the Edomites are cheering them on. And he talks about that in this text. And then in verse 9, the attacking soldiers, this is the last verse in this text, in this chapter, the attacking soldiers, what they would do is that they would grab the little babies out of the mother's arms and swing them by their feet, bashing their brains against the rocks. And that's how the psalm ends. Historians say that this was quite normal when one country would come over and overtake another. So let me begin reading verse uh, 1, chapter 37 of Psalms. It says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. 
Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let me walk you through this process. So when you encounter difficulties, when you take some hits in life, here's kind of a process that I've I've used in my own life. I'm calling it the ABCs to the freedom of forgiveness. As we kind of work through the issues of our life, here's the first one. The A says, uh, admit my anger. First of all, I've got to admit my anger. We see that in verses 1 through 3. The captors are mocking the Jewish slaves, making fun of their high claims as God's people, asking them to sing their songs of Zion. That's what you see in verses 1 through 3. Come on, sing one of those songs. Remember those songs, how you're God's chosen people? They're mocking them. And yet the psalmist here responds in verses 4 through 6. He doesn't, and what's interesting about this, he doesn't lash out. We're going to talk about this, which would be open aggression. And he doesn't become cynical, which is passive aggression. And he doesn't give up and lose hope, which is anger suppression. We're going to look at all three of those because you've got to be able to identify kind of what's your natural inclination in dealing with the hurts of life, how you process anger. But what he does is he hangs on to his anger and refuses to comply with their request in protest. He kind of says, how can we sing those songs? I'm not going to sing those songs. And we, it doesn't really say what happens to him. Maybe he got a beating for it. But, uh, but he kind of refuses to do that. And let me give you a couple verses here. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. These are uh, uh, some verses. Actually, there's three verses. And the next one's Hebrews 12, 15. These are really important verses in understanding and in processing anger. Notice it says, in your anger, do not sin. So anger is a part of our life. And he's just saying, so you can, so you can sin by being angry. And you can sin by not being angry. So you need to... so so. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So he's saying, he's he's saying, hey, you need to process those hits that you take. When you get angry about what's going on in your life, you need to be good at processing that. In fact, he's almost kind of saying, hey, before the sun sets, every day, every day, every day. And if you don't do that regularly, it begins to build up. You begin to store this stuff up. And it's going to create all kinds of problems. But here's another thing it does, though, is that, and do not give the devil a foothold. There's no inner term, uh, torment as bad as bitterness. And there's no greater way that the enemy gets a hold of our life than through bitterness. Do not give the devil a foothold. One of the ways we give the devil a foothold is through not processing the, the hurts and the hits that we take in life, and it creates this anger within us. And in fact, this is what it does. Hebrews twelve fifteen. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. So think about that. So if it's been a while since you have really experienced the wonderful grace of God, could it be that you are missing it because 
Notice what he says, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In essence, he's saying there's no reason to stay a POW any longer, a prisoner of war. That is, under the influence of the devil, the devil getting a foothold into your life. You will miss the grace of God through bitterness. That's what he's saying. And you give the devil a foothold into your life. So he's saying we have to process this. So you're going to take some hits. And how you process that can make or break, you know, whether or not your connection with God. So, you, so as I said at the very beginning, that, that nothing will poison God's love for you and your love for God and others like bitterness. There it is, right there. There's the verse. So let's define anger. So anger is this. So when you get angry, this is how you kind of need to process it. When you're angry, you have to say, you have to understand that anger is a God-given emotional energy expressed towards something bad that is threatening something good. So typically your anger is in defense of something good to destroy something bad. So you have to ask yourself, what am I defending that's so good and what am I trying to destroy that's interfering with that which is good? That's part of that process of anger. Now, what's interesting is that if you really begin to look at that, you begin to realize, wow, there's a lot of times I'm angry that I shouldn't be angry, and there's other times that I should be angry that I'm not. Because we tend to defend a lot of the wrong things out there rather than the, the things that God wants us to defend. We tend to put that energy, we miss, uh, it's misguided in, in our lives. And so, like I said, it can be a sin to, to get angry, and it can be a sin not to get angry. So you've got to ask yourself, what am I angry at? Now, let's talk about the three, kind of the three broad categories because anger has many different faces. And so we need to look at the different faces. We've got to learn to recognize the, the faces of anger. And I mentioned open aggression. And we're going to kind of characterize these. I'll, I'll call that the gunslinger. It's just kind of easy to remember for me. The, the open aggression is more the gunslinger. They're the type of person that comes in with guns blazing. You never have to wonder what they're thinking because they tell you, okay? They come in with guns blazing and they wait to, to see who's still standing after the dust has settled. I would be more of that kind of gunslinger. You know, especially around the home and people that I'm real, real comfortable with. I come in there with guns blazing. And so... Uh, the next person would be more of that passive aggression. And I've taught you, if you hung out with us for any time, I've taught this a, a number of times. And that would be more of the Eskimo. They do more of the freeze out. They don't come in with guns blazing. They just ignore you. They won't give you the time of day. They'll freeze you out. Okay? Does that make sense? So they're kind of that, that's that passive aggression. They won't, they're not outspoken about it. They just, uh, will just ignore you until you die and go away. And, uh. That's a little bit more of how my wife is, is that uh, she's just like, oh, yeah, okay, guess what? Uh, I'll just ignore you, and I won't have nothing to do with you forever. <laughs> and uh, so that's that. And then there's the uh, anger suppression. We're going to call that the coal miner. That's the one that shoves it so deep inside of, uh, inside of them uh, and that this is typically the person that uh, they bury it so deep through uh, escapism and video games and alcohol and movies. And, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more as we kind of work through this. If we have a chance, we'll, we'll work on this a little bit more. But came across an interesting story that might kind of help us to see two of these. A husband and wife were having a quarrel over the, the breakfast table. The quarrel remained unfinished 
as it was time to get to work, the wife, having trouble with the zipper on her dress, asked for assistance. In a huff, the husband freed the zipper and then angrily ran it up and down rapidly several times then left. So this is probably open aggression, okay? That afternoon, I think that the wife's more passive-aggressive because listen, listen, listen to what she does. That afternoon when the wife returned from work, there was a car in the driveway with a man lying on his back underneath the car except for his lower half sticking out from under the car. Remembering the breakfast incident, she went over, grasped the zipper on his fly and zipped it down and up several times and stomped into the house. There, to her surprise, sat her husband drinking coffee. (laughs) In great embarrassment, she explained to her husband what she had done. He rushed outside to find uh, his neighbor out cold. When the wife had grasped his zipper, he had reflexively tried to sit up and knocked himself out. Okay. So he's more open, she's more uh, passive in her ag- aggression, and you can kind of see that kind of lived out. You have to have an understanding. Now, what was interesting is that as I begin to understand my own uh, ag- aggression, anger, I tend to be open at home, but I tended to be more anger suppression at work or more passive. So there were times that I would be passive in my anger, Passive aggression, but also closed. And by the way, you need to know this, that closed aggression, if you don't deal with that, anger turned inward becomes what? You guys know what that becomes? Depression. You're going to be really depressed. It's going to create all kinds of problems because you're not dealing with this. You were made to be an emotional being and to use that to kind of help navigate through life. So I spent a little more time on that, but you've got to be able to admit your anger. You've got to be able to say, hey, when you're angry, hey, yeah, that really makes me angry, or yeah, that's a sign of anger. Uh, here's, a bit, here's a bit of a punch list. Let me spend a little bit more time on that, and then we'll get through the other ones a little quicker. So here's some signs of bitterness that I kind of, as I look in my own life, when I'm becoming angry. Besides the ways that I, I use anger, open, I'm open aggression, uh, more closed aggression sometimes, maybe, maybe even anger suppression. We probably all do of those, but do all of those, but, but we all are, are inclined to one of those ways of dealing with anger. By the way, those are all inappropriate ways of dealing with anger, is what I'm saying. And so you have to be in touch with how you deal with anger. But here's some signs, because I think a lot of people have it and they just don't recognize it. Is your passion for God and compassion for others growing? See, if you're walking in vital union with Jesus, your passion for God should be growing. Otherwise, you're probably, you know, there's, you're not experiencing his grace. Here, how about this? Words are a window to your heart. Do you listen to the things that you say? This last week, I, was, uh, I, I read something on Facebook that somebody posted and I go, that, you know, I immediately just kind of went off and then I realized, oh my goodness. And it wasn't anybody here that attends Desert Breeze. It was somebody else out there. And my wife challenged me on it, but immediately I saw, oh, I still have some bitterness about this person. I I saw it. I didn't see it, but then I saw it because I'm dealing with this subject. And then I saw it and of course my wife saw it too. And said something to me, and then that really made me mad. Uh, she would bring that up. If you hear yourself saying things like this, all men are all women, they're always, wow, that's 
probably bitterness. Or this particular group of people, or this culture, or this race. Oh, they're all like that. Bitterness? How about the cynicism, sarcasm, cutting remarks, hateful words? Do you listen to that? That's, all, that's telling you. It's a window. Words are a window to your heart. Now, let me ask you this. Are people happy when they see you coming or see you going? Okay. In other words, do people feel like they have to walk around on eggshells? My wife told me a number of years ago when I'd come home from the fire department, because I wasn't dealing with the... Oh, that's, a, that's a whole different thing. Some of you that are uh, police officers and you're on the fire department, I'm telling you, that will make you really jaded and you see such a harsh side of life. If you're in the medical, we have a number of nurses and doctors and, and people that are medics and firefighters and police officers and highway patrol people that attend here. So let me just say something about that. Oh, my goodness. You have to guard your heart like crazy because you just be jaded and mad at the world and mad at everybody and just call everybody an idiot, you know. It's just after a while, you just, you just, that's, so you have to really be careful with your heart and, um, and what, what I said all of that because uh, my wife confronted me because I would come home and unload a lot of crap. And she even told me, she says, me and the kids feel like we walk around on eggshells when you come off your shift. And, uh, well, you have no idea. You know, that was kind of how I first responded, which is just evidence of my bitterness. You have no idea the stress that I'm under and blah, 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 whatever. And then she was very kind, and she continued to say, hey, you know what? I know, I know it's really hard, but you can't bring that home. And she was very persistent, and that really kind of helped me to see that in me. But do people feel like they have to walk around on eggshells? Or maybe they can't even say that to you. Are you open for them to say that to you without you going off on them? The last thing I wanted was for my wife to have to walk around on eggshells. What's your general disposition when you've lowered your guard? Because the idea here is that people who spend time with God, who walk with God, who walk in vital union with God, will radiate his beauty and glory in a manner that is always warm and welcoming, never cold and condemning. Are you generally ticked off? you have a chip on your shoulder, unpleasant to be around? Are you, you know, so those are questions you want to ask. What kind of person are you to be around? There's another kind of an analogy, and you hear me use this before. It's the sunburn analogy. Have you ever, uh, you know, during the summertime, you come up and pat somebody on the back and they go, oh, oh. And you go, what? I got a sunburn. Well, I didn't see it. I didn't know it. So the sunburn analogy is you can say someone's word, someone's name, or bring up a topic, and they overreact. So when you have overreaction about any particular topic or about a person, or you see that person in the marketplace and you're hiding. Ooh, I don't see them. You know, or I mean, it could be anything like that. You begin to see what's going on in your heart. As I said in our prayer, hurt people hurt people. Healed people heal people. See, the more you experience that healing, the more you're going to be a person of healing. And you're going to offer that to others as you walk in the reality that, okay... Wow, spent a lot of time on that first one. Let's pick up the second one now. Bring my anger to God. You'll see that in verse 7. He actually does that. He says, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare. So 
These guys are cheering on the Babylonians and he's bringing it before God. God, you see what they've done? You see what these guys did? They were even cheering them on. There's no healing in hiding. God will meet us right where we are, not where we pretend to be. Hiding is motivated by shame resulting from the fall. Remember what Adam and Eve did when God walked in the garden in the cool of the day? And what what did God have to say? Where are you? Not that God needed to know where they were. They needed to know where they were. That was a question for them. Where are you? That would be a good question. Where am I in my relationship with God? Where am I in my processing of, of anger? And, uh, but here's the amazing thing is, is about God. To, uh, to be loved and not known is superficial. When someone says that they love you, but then oftentimes we kind of push that back because they really don't know me. But... Uh, But to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But the Bible tells us that God knows us fully and loves us fully. He knows every detail of our lives. And he loves us not because we're lovable, but in order to make us lovable. He knows everything about you. That's why you can take your anger to him. You can bring it to him. You need to get good at bringing your anger. That's what we see in this psalm. He's bringing his anger. That's why it says, I gave you one psalm, a couple psalms here, but one is 5522. Cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be shaken. And so praying my emotions and my anger helps me to open my feelings up in all of its reality and feel them deeply and at the same time have God meet me in all of his reality, comforting, correcting, and consoling and counseling me appropriately as I navigate through those difficulties of life. Uh, there was a, um, a church canvassing a neighborhood inviting kids in that neighborhood to their vacation Bible school, they came across a man who had some kids playing in the front yard and they said that they were going to invite him to the vacation Bible school. And this is what the man said. My father forced me to go to church growing up. My children are never going to church. That was his attitude. Sound like bitterness? Yeah, in, in his mind, he's beating his father. Or is he? Actually, because of his bitterness, his father is still controlling him. See, see, bitterness keeps your perpetrator in control of you. That's why forgiveness frees you from that. So what we've got to do is we've got to admit my anger, bring my anger to God. And then here's the next one, concede my vengeance to God. Now, notice I said vengeance, not justice in the sense God will bring justice, but as it relates to justice, allow due process of law. We should do that. You know, we should let due process of law run its course. If someone threats you, call the police. If you need to get a court order, get it. So we're not talking about doing those practical things that you need to do to protect yourself. And we're talking about getting rid of vengeance, Concede my vengeance to, to God. And that's what you have. In verses 8 and 9, it's interesting. It, it, it's an appeal to justice. The psalmist has presented the evidence and is asking God 
for justice upon his captors. Did you notice that? He said, hey, the Edomites, they cheered on the Babylonians. Did you see that, God? And oh, by the way, they came in and took our babies out of our arms and bashed their brains out against the rocks. May the same thing happen to them, God. Bring justice. That's what he's appealing to. So he's appealing to justice. Notice he's not taking a vow to avenge his enemies someday for what they have done to their little ones as many ancient cultures would have done. But he's in essence saying, God, you're the judge. You're the only person in the universe who has the power, the knowledge, and the right to bring righteous judgment. So he's really talking about this whole idea of vengeance. So when you try to get payment through revenge, the evil doesn't disappear. It spreads, most tragically of all, into you. You become like the evil that is being done to you. That's why it tells us in Romans 12, 17 through 21, one of the cross-references there, it says, overcome evil with good. When you realize that nobody gets away with anything before God, you'll begin to pity your perpetrators if they refuse to repent. So, admit to my anger, bring my anger to God, concede my vengeance to God. That's what we see there. And then discern underlying idols. This was really important for me. Did you notice in verse 6 he says, um, if I don't set Jerusalem above my highest joy, what is he saying? And there's a lot of joys in my life, but Jerusalem needs to be my highest joy. In other words, that we are your people, that we're your children, that we have you, God. Um, how many have ever seen the movie uh, The Count of Monte Cristo? That's kind of like one of my top ten movies. It's really, it's a, it's a good movie. Edmond Dantes, played by Jim Caviezel, is betrayed by his best friend Pierce and wrongly imprisoned. He becomes consumed by thoughts of vengeance. And after a miraculous escape and the finding of treasure, he transforms himself into this mysterious and very wealthy Count of Monte Cristo, placing himself into French nobility where he puts his cunning plan of revenge into action and there's a couple times in this movie there's a couple scenes but one in particular where Edmund's sidekick challenges him to let it go and those of you that have seen the movie you guys know what I'm talking about he, he, he appeals to him and says you have all the money in the world why are you so bitter get over it because all the money in the world did not compare to him wanting to make things right with those that had offended him, that had hurt him, getting their respect. And so it's, it's, a, it's really a form of, it's idolatry. Um, and, and in fact, this is how I would, I would put it as, I, as you kind of examine your own life as it relates to discerning underlying idols, is that if you can't let it go, then it's too important to you and probably an idol. After efforts to forgive and your bitterness won't subside, you need to ask, what is so important that I cannot live without it? So here's how I would appeal to you this morning. You have all of the wealth of heaven. The God of the galaxies has forgiven you and loves you. What more do you need? Let it go. And that's, that's the appeal of scriptures. Oh my goodness, you have something that you're elevating above what you have in God. 
That's why you can't let it go. I can never forget what they did to me. What? But look what he's given to you. It's certainly enough to overcome all that you have experienced in your life. There's no trauma, no trial, no temptation. Nothing that you can experience is a match for God's grace. Do you understand that? See, that's the appeal of Scripture. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. That's amazing. Let it go. Let it go. It's, it's probably idolatry. It's idolatry. I can't believe those people would disrespect me. You have the respect of God. Oh my goodness. Let it go. Move on. It will rip you off. It's bitterness. It will destroy your life. That's kind of how I have to talk to myself if I'm working through that. You know, when, when it raised its ugly head this last week, it was like, what? what in the world is wrong with you? Come on, Davis. That's, a, that's crazy. And so, I, so, okay, let's continue on. Here we go. Discern underlying idols. Express truth in love. We see this. In, in verse 4, he says, how shall we sing the Lord's song? How do we do this? You're asking me to dance and be happy and sing songs of Zion? Are you kidding? So he's being honest here. And so when you've been offended or hurt, you know, the Bible tells you that if your brother, you know, offends you, you go and talk to him. Uh, it's never loving to let someone sin against you. So when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about just letting someone abuse you or hurt you or anything. You've got to speak truth to them. You know, they need to be held accountable. So there's that, uh, there, there's that part of it that's really important. It's never loving to let someone sin against you, themselves, or others. You just don't stand by. Any love that is afraid to confront is not love, but an emotional hunger, a selfish desire to be loved. So how many are real people pleasers and you have a real hard time confronting? Show of hands. So if you don't go ahead and confront, it's not real love. It's just an emotional hunger. You're more concerned about how they think about you than speaking the truth to them. Okay? Sorry. That's just how it is. And, um, and any confrontation without love doesn't build bridges but drives wedges. Here's what you want in your relationship. Hey, in, in every relationship. By the way, this is, this is what creates intimacy in relationships. Mutual giving of love and truth back and forth. So if you're minus one or the other, you don't have much of intimacy in the relationship. So that's necessary for just good, healthy relationships. And, um, and so w- what should happen in our confrontation that I should be able to confront you in such a way that you should be able to say it like this. I don't want to hear what he has to say, but there's no doubt about it that he loves me. See, that, that's, how that, that's how confrontation should happen. To where you know I love you, but because I love you, I'm going to speak the truth to you. And you might not want to hear it, but you know there's no doubt in your mind that. And that's, can you see you have to be so melt-in-your-mouth sweet in how you confront someone that that's really, that would, be, that, would, that would be their attitude to you. Does that make sense? So you got that love and truth. And so, 
And so when you look at the cross, the cross is the perfect example of speaking the truth in love. Because when we look at the cross, what do we see? We look at the cross, and, and the cross is telling us that you, are, you were so sinful, Jesus had to die for you. What? Yeah, that's the truth. But he loved you so much, he wanted to die for you. What? Yes. Isn't that wonderful? Do you see the balance? There's the truth, but there's the amazing love. Truth, love, truth, love. So, so let me get back to this real quick. Um, so open aggression, the gunslinger typically is all truth and no love. And oftentimes they'll say, well, I'm just a straight talker. That's what I am. And that's a very nice way of saying that you're abrasive. And, uh, and then the passive aggression, the Eskimo, is that they're all love and no truth. And they would typically say, well, I'm just a peacemaker. And that's a nice way to say that you're a coward. Sorry. And then the anger suppression, the coal miner, is no truth or love. I'm not bothered by anything. And that's just a nice way of saying that you're a mask wearer. You're all about pretense. And as I said, you're a candidate for depression. And so express truth and love. And here's the last one. This is where we'll end. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive as you have been forgiven. By the way, uh, Mending the Soul, the, the book that you uh, are going to be taking the ladies through, and we also have a group for the men. We have a number of groups in the church. But Mending the Soul is a great resource for what I'm talking about here. In fact, Mending the Soul actually does one whole chapter just on forgiveness, which is a really a phenomenal chapter. But to forgive someone doesn't mean you're minimizing the hurt or forgetting the hurt or removing negative consequences that... Uh, that this person is experiencing. It doesn't even mean trusting and reconciling with the person, okay? I need to say all of that. It means to, for, to forgive means letting go of the hatred and revenge and extending grace. So to forgive someone means that I'm not going to pinch their head off when I see them. I would be forgiving them. I'm not going to trash their character to others behind their back. I'm not going to replay the event the hurt in my head of what they did, hoping some, something bad will happen to them. It means that I'm not going to bring the matter up to them or others or to myself. I'm not going to keep replaying that over and over again. So it's just it's, it's letting it go. And it's a process. And each time you're confronted with it, you have to keep going through that process. And it takes time, depending on the difficulty that you're facing, but why would we forgive? Because Jesus forgave us. And so I'm going to show you a video clip. And uh, those that are going to pass out communion, you can find your way to the back to pass out the trays. But this is a video clip. Just, this is what I, here's what's helped me to overcome my unforgiveness. Remember what I said earlier that uh, hurt people hurt people, healed people heal people? Guess what? Forgiven people forgive people. The reason why we can't forgive is because we don't understand how much we have been forgiven. And so what I have to do is take long, lingering looks at the cross and at the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for me until it is burning bright in my heart, until I can begin to let those things go. And that's what we're going to do this morning as we, as we take communion. What are you needing to let go? When I begin to see the indispensableness of the cross, that there was no other way, and the costliness of him being crucified 
for our salvation. That begins to ravish and transform my heart unlike ever before. This is what it says. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. They're going to be passing out the communion elements in just a moment at the end of this video. Hang on to them. They'll walk us through the process, and then we'll conclude our time together. Watch this video. How do we become forgiving people? That's a we. We gaze upon the beauty and the glory of the cross and what he's done for us. There's no other belief system, no other religious system on this planet that would dare come close to what Christianity says, that that the God of all the galaxies came to this earth and bled and died for us to bridge the gap that separated us for all eternity from the Father. All of the wrath of God was placed upon Jesus so that we could have his love and eternal life. And so as you take long, lingering looks at that and it begins to get a hold of your heart, the more you do that, the more you become a forgiving person. You become a person of grace. And uh, that's what we're doing this morning. On the night that he was betrayed, he was with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it and he said, this represents my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Let's take together. As we take communion, it's just once again a reminder that we don't need to be held hostage to the past hurts, even our our past sins. Uh, Sins that we've committed, sins that have been committed against us, because Jesus came to give us a freedom that money can't buy and death can't take away. That same night he took the cup and he said, this represents my shed blood for you. This is the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. So it is a, it is a process. You have to keep dealing with it. Every time you're going to get more hits, People will say things and do things against you, but you have to be able to learn how to process that. Otherwise, you will become a hostage to your hostility. And Jesus came to set us free from that. Next week, we're going to talk about fullness of joy. Um, Because that's what he wants for us. And we're going to be studying out of Psalm 16. Would you stand with me? I would like to read to you a hymn. And this is my blessing unto us, to you. This is Charles Wesley's uh, song. This is what he says. It should be up on the big screen. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.